is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivis Skolarsep, and I am back. I know I was away for a little while. Took a week or so off. Apologies for that if you uh, you were left hanging after the September World Cup qualifiers. But as you might imagine, I might have needed a little bit of a break. And there's a lot going on over here at SBI headquarters. Uh, it's gonna be. It's been a busy and interesting September, and uh, hopefully, it's gonna be an even more interesting October and November ahead on the SBI front. Uh, for those of you who haven't been keeping track, I've uh, picked up a new venture. I'm uh, I'm working with CBS Sports on the TV side, TV production side, working with them. Obviously, they're they're making real serious moves on the uh, soccer front. So I'm working with them now. And it's keeping me a little busy, but uh, the show is back and it will stay back now that we've had this little bit of a break, but I'll get into that more later. I'll talk, I'll, I'll talk a little more about that at the end of the show, give you a little insight into things going on at SBISoccer.com. It's been a bit of a slowdown on that front and apologize for that, but we've got some help on the way and I'll, I'll get into that later, but there's so much to talk about and catch up on since the show hasn't been around for a little bit we have to talk u.s men's national team the squad will be named for the october friendlies next week so we have a week to think about who will get called in and i've already put out my projection for the october training camp roster we'll see if greg berhalter listens at the very least we'll see if he listens to the idea that maybe call in more guys this time maybe don't just go with 25 26 let's try 30 and look i know some people will say well why don't you just call 50 why limit yourself well to be fair it, it, it gets a little difficult to deal with that many players and run a functional camp right functional training sessions you, you, you can have too many people and you don't you don't want a situation where you have too many players you can't you, you can't use them all in a, in a good way so I get that, but I feel like we learned in the September qualifiers in that window that 25 was not enough. 26. It was originally 26. Tim Way got hurt. They never replaced him. Then you're down to 25, and then quickly, quickly we saw injuries, broken curfews, COVID. Everything under the sun happens, and all of a sudden you're you know you're on the phone to Jackson Ewell, you're on the phone to Sean Johnson. Hey, uh, can you make it down to camp? We need people. And that's what we had. That's what happened. So hopefully, you know what? I don't care. <laughs> it's fine if, if Berhalter doesn't, you know, pay attention to the player suggestions, but hopefully he at least considers a larger group. And uh, if, in case you haven't seen the projected squad that I, I put out, uh, I'm going to run it down for you and get into it a little bit and discuss it uh, just to... So we can get a sense of of who we might see in October, and I know and I know a lot of people are are, are curious about that, about what this team is going to look like, how different it's going to be. Is it going to be different, or is it pretty much going to be a lot of the same guys? Well, I'll tell you right now, it's going to be different for a variety of reasons. Number one, some players are injured still, and some players are back from injury who weren't available in September. So that's actually the good news. And the bad news as of right now is that people are drag racing in my neighborhood. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the, the bad news is 
that right now Christian Pulisic and Giorina have yet to fully recover or yet to recover from the injuries that they, they attained in September in, in the, in the September qualifiers, Giorina with the, with the hamstring injury. And uh, no, I don't think he suffered the injury when he flinched uh, during the, the national anthem, when he heard the fireworks in El Salvador, it must've been something he picked up late in the game. Although it was kind of hard to tell, but whatever it was, it ended up being such a serious issue that Reina has not played since. He missed the rest of the September window. And he went back to Borussia Dortmund and he has not played yet. And it doesn't seem like he's ready to come back. So right now it's not looking good for him for for the October qualifiers. And that's obviously a huge blow because you can argue, you know, him, him and Pulisic, you can argue they are the two most dangerous attacking weapons that Greg Berhalter has at his disposal. So right off the bat, if you're looking at potentially not having Reina, big shoes to fill. And then you have Christian Pulisic, who also has not been in action since the injury he suffered in the September qualifiers. As you remember, he injured his ankle against Honduras. You remember he tried to hop around. He tried to play through it. You saw you saw him hopping on one leg in the goal celebration. And uh, he hasn't been able to get back. And Chelsea has a huge game, obviously, this weekend against Manchester City. And he has been ruled out already for that match. Which means at this point, you know, he uh, uh, the best case scenario for Pulisic is he gets one, maybe two games before the, the October window. There's still Champions League taking place next week. Could he be back for that? Could he be back for their last Premier League game? By all accounts, it sounds like he's back at least training. So he's closer. It seems like he's closer than Reina. Now, if you're Greg Berhalter, one way or the other, you're bringing Pulisic into camp, right? You have three games in October. You have a pretty sizable window there. So if you feel like you can bring him in, uh, hopefully, worst case scenario, you play him for the last game. You have him for the game against Costa Rica in Columbus. That's a big game. Columbus is, uh, you know... Costa Rica, when you talk about the opponents, is it the the best Costa Rica team they've had in a long time? No. But they're still a tough opponent. And if you can have Pulisic at least for that game, you want him back for that game. And obviously, I know some people say, well, you'd rather have Pulisic for Panama. You go down to Panama. Pulisic knows all about going down to Panama. As we remember when he was younger, in the last Hex, 2017 now, he, you know, he he took a pretty good beating down there, if we all remember, and uh, he actually helped set up a goal down there. And if you're Greg Berhalter, you would love to have Pulisic for all three games if you could, but you kind of have to pick your battles. You're talking about a player coming back from injury. He's not 100. percent He's not 90 minutes fit. Obviously, he hasn't been playing, so you have to figure out how best to use Christian Pulisic if you can even use him, because at this point we don't know. We're kind of assuming at this point that given the fact that he's training, that he's close, hopefully close to getting uh, being available for Chelsea. That between now and the next couple of weeks, he's in a good enough position where he can play, whether it's off the bench, whether it's a starter. And now you have Giorena more than likely out for October. If you have rain, if you don't have Reina or Pulisic. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Although I, I, I will point out, you didn't have either of them on the field for the flurry against Honduras. When Sebastian Leggett, Christian Roldan, Ricardo Pepe, 
when that group poured it on against Honduras, big win, big second half rally. Now, let's talk about this roster. And we've already started off Pulisic, Reina, not looking good for Reina, not a lock for Pulisic. But but we're going to get into who we should see, could see for this October. I'm projecting a 30-player roster. And actually, I projected 30 players in September. And I actually honestly thought Berhalter would call in 30 players in September. But obviously, he went on the, the, the lower end. He went 26 initially. That turned into 25. And then we know what happened. So this roster is 30 players. And start off goalkeeper, the same three, actually the same four, who at one point or another were in the group. You have Matt Turner, Zach Steffen, Ethan Horvath, Sean Johnson. No surprises there. That's your four. That's your top four. After that, there's a. It's you know. It's kind of a bit of a bit of a mishmash of uh, you know. You have someone like Brad Guzan who's got the experience, but he's really, really. I mean, when you talk about at the point of his of his career where he should probably be retiring from the national team, but with his experience, the fact that he's still playing at a good level for Atlanta, he's in the picture. And then you have Bill Hamid, who is back healthy as far as I know, and when he's healthy and on his game. He's a very good candidate as well. But the top four is the top four. The question, obviously, into, into October, is Matt Turner the number one? And I think it's safe to say he's the number one. With what he did in September, what he did in the Gold Cup, the momentum he's riding right now, you got to go with him. Zach Steffen, only recently in the Carabao Cup, played his first match of any kind in a month. Not He hadn't played since the Community Shield. Obviously, he got injured, and then you know he had the back spasms at the beginning of the September window. Then he got COVID, so he didn't end up playing at all in the September qualifiers. He hasn't been getting any games for City, so Matt Turner's your guy. I don't, I don't know how you really argue it. If anything, if you want to make an argument for, or if you want to make a case for giving Stefan one of these games, I get that. I understand that. I could see that as a possibility. But you know, goalkeeper, you can play every game. And if Matt Turner's in a good rhythm, he's played with the the def- defenders now. He he know you know he's got a bit of a rapport with those guys. I don't see why you make any changes right now. Matt Turner's your guy. He should be starting, and I think that's what I think that's what we're going to see. I think he's going to be the number one, but it's going to be interesting. Next, we have defenders. Who are the defenders? And uh, I've named 10, actually. Of 10 it seems like a lot, but again, if, if you have 30 players in camp, you're talking about three-match window, a lot can happen. There's also the possibility about rest- of, of restrictions for certain players, as we know with the UK, uh, not wanting its players to travel to certain countries, and Panama is on that list. And so that it's going to be interesting to see if there are any restrictions on certain players, on certain players who... Uh, you know, who are based in the UK, who could be part of the pool. And there are players that are based in the UK. Anthony Robinson, number one. Tim Ream, number two, who's, yes, is still in the picture. So right there, you have those two. Those are basically it. Those are the two defenders. Uh, but let's go, let's break it down real quick. Serginio Dest, John Brooks, Miles Robinson, Anthony Robinson, Joe Scally, Mark McKenzie, Tim Ream, Chris Richards, DeAndre Yedlin, George Bello. That's my group. And uh, just to break it down, a few things real, real quick. Obviously, Joe Scally's the name that's going to pop out first 
because obviously this would be his first senior camp, and you're kind of like, well, if in case you haven't been paying attention, he's been playing regularly, starting regularly for Borussia Mönchengladbach. He he had the opportunity at the start of the season due to an injury, took advantage of it, played well. Then there was another injury. The left back for, for, for Gladbach gets hurt. He plays left back. The starting right back breaks his ankle. He gets to play at his natural right back position. And uh, he's kind of bound, he's been at both positions and he's played well. And even though he's very young and, and as a defender, young defenders, you never know consistency, but he's actually done the job. He's looked good. And he's versatile. He's shown he can play both left back and right back. So if I'm Greg Berhalter, I look at that, I look at the sample size, and now it's a real sample size. You're talking six matches between Bundesliga and DFB Pokal, six matches against high-level competition, and he has played well. So for me, when you look at the fullback pool, it's really a no-brainer because Reggie Cannon is not playing, may or may not be hurt. He's being listed as injured, but who knows what's going on there. Is it a case of you know there being a falling out because the, his transfer slash loan move out of there didn't, didn't happen, fell through? Whatever's going on, Reggie Cannon is not playing. Not seeing the field isn't even dressing. So he's not in the picture. Shaq Moore has not regained his starting job with Tenerife since the Gold Cup. Obviously, the Gold Cup was great for him. He played great. He showed well, put himself front and center in the national team picture. But what happens, what very few would have expected, he loses his starting job. And the reason I say very few would have expected is because he had been a starter for a few years there. Solid starter, consistent starter, and then he goes to the Gold Cup. He comes back from the Gold Cup. Sorry, buddy. Someone's got your job. And it's definitely unfortunate. And I know some people look at it and say, well, I guess he shouldn't have gone to the Gold Cup. And it's easy to say now. It's easy to look at that and say, yeah, he shouldn't have went to the Gold Cup. Look, it cost him his starting job. And that totally, you can say it now, right? But at the time, it was an opportunity that, I mean, how do you turn it down? How do you pass that up? You've been out of the national team picture for multiple years. You have a chance to be in a camp, in a, in a tournament, and then you get a chance to start and start for, you know, four or five games in a row and really look good. And unfortunately he lost his starting job with the really unfortunate part is that he wasn't sold. Right. Cause there was supposedly interest reportedly. There was interest from teams in La Liga. Didn't work out, but now he's not in the picture. And I've gotten a little, little tangent here, but the point is, when you look at the fullback positions, Shaq Moore, Reggie Cannon, not playing. George Bello had a rough September uh, against Honduras. He started against Honduras, had a very, very bad half, and, uh, and he got pulled. Now, I still have him projected, but that's more as kind of cover because four fullbacks, which is the kind of standard for, for a camp, you know, four fullbacks, he... Berhalter could absolutely go with four fullbacks, especially when you consider that Dest and Scally can play either right back or left back. Some people argue Dest really can't play left back, but point is that he can use either of them on either side. So I absolutely could see Berhalter going with six center backs and four fullbacks, given the versatility of some of these players. And actually... I went with five and five in my projection, but I kind of had some buyer's remorse there the more I look at it because George Bellow, you know, he, he didn't have a great he didn't have a great one. And there are some very good center back options. I mean, there's going to be a couple of center backs that are left out of this that you're going to look at and say, wow, really? OK, 
And James Sands is one. I know he had a rough game against Honduras, but he's still a good prospect. You have Matt Miazga, who is starting in La Liga, although he didn't start the last match. He started a few matches for Alaves. I know they're the, the last place team in, in La Liga, but still, he's playing in La Liga. He's getting games. You think that helps his chances? You also have Walker Zimmerman, who I absolutely could see uh, still. If I had it to do over again, I'd probably take Bello off and I'd put Zimmerman on and I'd go six center backs in my projection. But you know what? I made my, I made my projections. It is what it is. It can change. And I generally do a take two right uh, right before the roster the roster comes out next week. So maybe I'll do a take two and then I'll, I'll swap in Zimmerman for Bello. But point is, there's a lot of center backs. You have Cameron Carter-Vickers, who's now, you know, he's on loan at Celtic. And he's he's slipped, he's gone right into the starting lineup at Celtic. He's playing every game. And by all accounts, he's playing well. And I got to say, it's so interesting how things have changed, right? Ten years ago, maybe even five years ago, but I'll say ten years ago, if you had an American center back starting for Celtic, people would not know how to act. U.S. fans would go, would be like, hey, look at our guy starting at Celtic. How about that? Big time. And now it's kind of like an afterthought. Now it's like, eh, Celtic, meh. Talk to me when he's in the Premier League. Talk to me when he's in, you know, in the Bundesliga or Serie A. No, he's starting for Celtic. That still matters. That's still Celtic's still a good team. He's starting for them. But it doesn't guarantee him a place on the national team. That just shows you the difference now. The fact that no matter what happens with the selections, there are going to be players who play on good teams and in good leagues who are left out, particularly at center back, just because you have so many options there. So... You know, that's the projection. That's the 10. The, the 10 I projected is who I see Burhalter calling it. What would I do differently? I mean, the Tim Ream one is an interesting one because I know in September, I definitely did not project Tim Ream. But now that he showed well against El Salvador, we all know what he means to the locker room and, and being kind of a veteran presence and someone who's he's a very respected player in the locker room and among the players. Uh, not quite as respected amongst fans who obviously say, oh, he's too old. He's too slow. You can't. He's a liability against better teams. Listen, for me, I'm still in shock at the fact that Tim Ream had a better September on the national team than John Brooks. Who had that happening? Who saw that coming? So I'm going to give I'm going to give Tim Ream a little more respect. And obviously, you know, he started his career at the Red Bulls. I've known him a long time. Great guy. And he showed against El Salvador he can still do a job. And based on what I saw from him in El Salvador, against El Salvador, I don't know why can't why could not he not do that against Panama in Panama? Why could he not do that against uh, you know Costa Rica? He so he's an option, and he will for me he'll be there. He will be in the squad if he's out there. He's there. He's going to be there as much as U.S. fans may not want it, as much as they might want younger guys in there. He's going to be there. And you do have some injuries. You have Sam Vines, who's injured at the moment. And for me, if Vines was healthy and playing, he would be in ahead of Bella. But he's injured. He's out of the picture. Brian Reynolds is not playing. At AS Roma, you have someone like Kevin Paredes. He's a young player. Looks good in, in MLS. But again, he's so new. Is this the moment to bring him in? Probably not. Now, what I want to know 
Will Berhalter call up Chris Richards? And I know that's I know I know to some people that seems like a crazy question to even ask, right? He's starting in the Bundesliga, playing well. He's, he's had two starts for Hoffenheim, played well in both. But again, you have so many options here. You have other players who have had more reps with the team now. Mark McKenzie. Mark McKenzie, very good prospect. He's shown well. He's had some good games. He had a pretty solid game against Honduras. If you're asking who's the better prospect, who would you put your money on, and who would you invest in as like ha- having the chance to have the better future, you, more people would pick Richards than McKenzie. However, at the moment, McKenzie has the better resume with the national team. He's had the reps. He's played in the games that Richards has not. So that's why there is a question there, depending on how many players Berhalter chooses to call and how many center, how many center backs he ends up bringing in. So people maybe shouldn't be shocked if Chris Richards isn't included. Now, I'm including him, but I could absolutely see Walker Zimmerman getting a call over Richards because he has that experience. Even though for me, I am including Richards, especially now that he's playing. I got it before that he was coming off an injury and, you know, for the Nations League, that, that's why he ended up not being on the Nations League squad. But there's no excuse now. He's with Hoffenheim. He's playing. He's playing well. We all know the potential that he has, the quality that he has. It's time to bring him in. So for me, I bring him in, but I'm not convinced that Berhalter will absolutely definitely bring him in. So that's one to watch. Now we talk midfielders, and the one of the bigger questions of the entire October squad slash camp is, is Berhalter ready to bring Weston McKinney back? And I know some people will say that it's a no-brainer. Absolutely, yes. Like he had, he did his, you know, he did his time. He missed two games. It's time to bring him back. I I agree with that. I personally, I think you know what he, ha- he he's done. He's done his time. He's gone back to uh, Juventus. He's gotten games. He's just coming off his first ninety-minute appearance under under Max Allegri. So I think it's time. It's time to bring him back. And I know some people say, oh, maybe he hasn't learned his lesson. He really needs to, you know, you need to keep him out one more window. I see the argument for that. But I also understand World Cup qualifying. Like, there's a point to make, right? I, I understand, like, you want to you want to set a good precedent. You want to have, you want to discipline. You want to have discipline in the group. But I, honestly, I think the message has been sent. Weston McKinney missed two games. He missed the Canada game. He missed the Honduras game. Two big games. He missed them. And I think that's enough. As, as much as what he did was, you know, based on what we know or what has been reported and what's been out in the public. He went out. He wasn't supposed to go out. He brought someone back to the team hotel, which, you know, breached the, the bubble and the, the COVID protocols in the camp. That was obviously not great. That was obviously a bad move by him. Not a great move by him. Wasn't wasn't the smartest thing he's ever done. But he's missed two games now. And at a certain point, there is that line you can't cross that goes from giving him the punishment that he deserves and then also punishing the team. And I think it, I think we're kind of at that point where if you haven't missed October, I mean, that's that's hurting the team. And you can say, oh, well, it's him hurting the team. That's you know what? I get that in September. But I think at this point. It's time to bring him back in. So we'll see. I think Berhalter brings him back. 
but we'll see if he doesn't bring him back. That's uh, that'll be a that'll be an interesting one. But for me, for right now, I'm projecting McKinney on there, putting him on the squad. Here's the midfield: Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Sebastian Lejet, Gianluca Busio, Christian Roldan, Kellen Acosta, Brendan Aronson, and Eunice Musa. Now, the two players on that list who were not part of the of the September squad are Busio and Musa. And Busio, Busio obviously was had just signed with Venezia and he hadn't been playing. He hadn't played in a month. So it was, it was a good opportunity to leave him in Italy, let him get settled. And obviously it's worked out because he, he stepped right into the starting lineup at Venezia and he's been playing well for Venezia. As much as, you know what, they're going to have a rough year. Chances are they're going to get relegated, but still, Busio has looked the part. And I see a confident player. I see a player who has settled in, who's not overwhelmed, who can handle Serie A. He can handle playing in Serie A. And just to let you all know, obviously, I'm working with CBS Sports, so a big part of what I do now is follow Serie A and watch these matches, keep tabs on everything going on there. And obviously, I'm keeping tabs on Busio, and he looks good. Considering he just, this is his first step into Europe, you know, he's not, he didn't start at some smaller league or some smaller level, lower level. He is jumping at 19 or as is he 18, 19 as a teenager, he's jumping into a starting midfield in Italy in Serie A and looking the part. And that's great. That's impressive to see. And that, and he, so for me, he's in, he has, for me, he has to be in to the U S camp in October. And then you have Musa, you have Musa who obviously was injured uh, had an ankle injury that that kept him out heading into September, so that's why he wasn't in September. We all know, look, technically he's not cap-tied yet, but by all accounts, he's ready to be cap-tied. And I know some people still were like, oh, why didn't Berhalter play him? And what it came down to it was, by all accounts, his fitness was the issue. And Berhalter didn't think he was ready to step into the games that he would have had to step into when you talk about Honduras and Mexico in the Nations League. Berhalter wanted to win Nations League. U.S. men's national team wanted to win Nations League. And if he didn't feel he was fit, if he didn't feel Musa was fit, then you can understand why he didn't put him in at that point. So it wasn't a case of Musa didn't want to be cap-tied, because I know there was some thought of that. I thought that myself, and I, I was under that impression maybe... He wasn't ready, and maybe Berhalter was kind of, you know, covering for him. But by all accounts, and based on what has been said since then, it basically came down to, look, Berhalter didn't see him being fit enough to step into the positions and into the matches that he would have had to step into. So, you know what? It it really sounds like Musa was fine with that, and he still wants to be part of the program. He wants to be captive. He's ready to play. So... He's back now with, with Valencia. He's not starting for Valencia, but he's been getting minutes. He's been getting some good minutes, actually, uh, coming on early in matches. He just he just played recently against Real Madrid and had a pretty good showing there. So he's a great option. If he's in form, he's healthy, he's playing, he's a great option. So when you look at that and you look at the rest of the midfield, I mean, Brendan Aronson's the one that I'm kind of like, well, let's see what he can do for an encore because I thought he had a very good September. I thought he really showed something. He really showed a lot in under something. He showed that he is ready. And now look, the first game didn't go well. 
Aronson did not look good against El Salvador, but he rebounded and he showed, he showed some good things against Canada, obviously. And then Honduras, obviously, you know, when you talk about the, the, the rally and the, the part he played in that second half for them, Aronson, he, you can argue he's going to challenge for a starting, starting role, especially with Giorena not in the picture. And potentially Christian Pulisic not available for any, you know, miss, if he misses any of these matches, that makes Aronson that much more important. Because of what he can do, his ability, his kind of creative ability and his attacking quality that he can give you in midfield that you're going to need even more if you don't have Pulisic and Reina. Now, one player that I I mentioned in my write up, but didn't include him in the squad, but who I could see get get a call up is Georgi Mihailovic. And I know some people are like, wait, what? Especially if you don't follow MLS and you're kind of like, wait, who's what? I haven't heard his name in a minute. Well, look, for those of you who haven't been paying attention, Georgi Mihailovic has been playing very well in MLS for Montreal. And CF Montreal is a, is there a team that, you know what? A lot of American, most American fans don't follow Montreal because they don't have a ton of Americans and they're Montreal. They're not, you know, there's no, there's no American fans of Montreal. Or not many. I mean, maybe some exist, but it's not a thing, really. So it's easy for Mihailovic to kind of fly under the radar, but he's actually, you can argue, he's been the best American midfielder in MLS over the past few months. Definitely the past month or so. Past seven matches, he's had a goal and six assists. So he's playing very well, very good level. Montreal's in a playoff position right now, and he's been a big part of that. And if you don't have Arena... You don't have a Pulisic. You're looking for some creative options, some some people who can give you some uh, creativity, some attacking threat in midfield. Mihailovic is that kind of player. So don't be surprised if he's included. Now, I've mentioned some other players in the write-up that missed the cut. Tanner Tessman, not playing much. Luca Delator is playing for Heracles in, in the Eredivisie, but he's kind of just on the fringe. And... Uh, you know, he's consistently playing. He's doing, he's, you know, by all accounts, when you look at kind of the ratings, he's doing okay. He's doing it. He's playing decently. But is he blowing the world away in the Netherlands? I wouldn't say that. At least not enough to force himself into the picture. You also have Christian Kappas, who's playing at Bronby and actually, you know, doing pretty well there. He just had a two-goal game in a, in a cup match for Bronby. He's, he's really settling in well there for the Danish club. And then you have Jackson Ewell, who hey, I got to put him in there just because, look, he got the call the last time. So he's obviously on Berhalter's radar as, a, as an option, but probably not going to be part of the squad. Now we can talk about the, the position that everyone wants to talk about, forward. The, we're talking about the strikers. We're talking about the wingers. For one, the winger position is obviously going to be an interesting one because can Pulisic play? And if he can play, how many matches can he realistically play? Can we expect him to play in all three matches? Can we expect him to start in all three qualifiers in October? That seems like a, an ambitious haul. So if you aren't going to have Pulisic, you already probably, most likely, you're not going to have Giorena. So who are your wing options? Now, the good news is Tim Weah is back. He's healthy. He, for those who, who forget, he, he was injured. He was going to be part of the September squad, but he was injured before the camp. But he's back and he's playing. So hopefully he's included and he's in the picture because he absolutely could, can be a good starting option. Conrad De La Fuente obviously is in the picture as well. He hasn't been starting consistently for Marseille. Should be noted. He, uh, he, he obviously got, to the, got off to the great start there. 
but now he's been in and out of the of the lineup a bit the last few last few matches for Marseille. So that that bears watching a little. He's still a good option. He's still someone you could bring off the bench. But in terms of starting options, who are the good viable starting winger options? And that's where it's a little tricky, right? If you don't have Pulisic, then you don't have Reyna. Now Brendan Aronson is still an option for sure. He, you can play him wide, and we obviously saw that in, in September, and we could see it again. But you also have, and I, I should have rattled it off first, but all right, uh, you know what? Let me do that. Here are the forwards that I named in my projection. Christian Pulisic, Ricardo Pepe, Josh Sargent, Jordan Sibichu, slash PFOC. I keep messing it up. It's back and forth, but it is Jordan PFOC. Tim Weah, Conrad De La Fuente, Jossi Zardes, and Matthew Hoppy. That's my group. And uh, I know you look at it, some people might look at it and say, oh, wait, four strikers? That seems like a lot. Even three seems like a lot. Well, that's fair. But I think part of it at least is, you know, Josh Sargent did play wide in, in the Honduras qualifier. He has played wide for Norwood City. He can play wide. So given that, you can kind of see Berhalter hedging a bit. And calling in that extra forward, that extra striker in Jossie's artist is healthy. He's back. He has that experience. So for me, I don't know how you, I don't know, I can't imagine Berhalter not calling in Zardes. Even with Ricardo Pepe obviously being hot and looking and looking as good as he did against Honduras, he's there. Jordan Peefock is there. Playing well, we all, for you know, I haven't had a show since then, but he scored the winner against Manchester United in the Champions League. Now, obviously, it was a nice assist by Jesse Lingard, but still, Jordan Pivot comes off the bench, scores the winner to beat Cristiano Ronaldo in Manchester United. And just to say that, American striker scores the winner to beat Man United. Pretty impressive. So he's there. So then Josh Sargent's kind of that player that's, you know, does do, do you call him in? He's not, you know what? He still hasn't found the net. He's not scoring. And at a certain point, yes, it becomes an issue. So I project Sargent on the team. But I also still see Zardis included. So I think you see both those guys in there. Uh, and then Matthew Hoppe, I included, even though he's more of a wide option, just as we saw in the Gold Cup. And in this group, with the players that are available, he's even more of a, of a, of a wide option because of the lack of wingers that you have available. Now, yes, I know Paul Ariola is healthy. He's back. He's been playing, but he hasn't been playing at the, his last few matches since he's come back have not been at the level that he was before he was injured. So I'm kind of curious, does Berhalter bring him in? He has that experience. He's played in qualifiers before he's played in road qualifiers before. So he has that going in his favor. But I think if you're Berhalter and you have Zardes, you have Ariola. I think I don't know if you bring both. I think you bring, and, not, and again, it's not a positional thing, but it's a kind of what the boxes that they tick in terms of experience, in terms of having played in these types of matches. Ariola not being in the top form, that's why I personally didn't project him on, though I can see Burt Alder doing that. I can see him calling him in absolutely, though I did not. Now, there are some strikers who obviously are good options. Haji Wright, for me, is a player who, you know, he's playing in Turkey now at an Talia Spore, and he's scoring goals. He's got, I think he has four goals in his past four matches. He's someone who is in the picture. I don't think he'll be included here, obviously, because you have all these other strikers I just mentioned, but he's a name to remember. And then you have Daryl DK, 
who isn't necessarily crushing it right now at Orlando, but he's playing, he's back, he's healthy, he's gotten over the shoulder injury. I'm kind of curious to see where he is in things and if Burhalter will consider him. But I think he's on the outside right now. He's on the outside. Nicholas Giacchini is on the outside. Although, I got to say, Nicholas Giacchini, for those who missed it, made a lone move. He's now at Montpellier in Ligue 1. He's playing in the French First Division. He's basically promoted up because he was obviously at the French Second Division side, Cayenne. And now he's on loan with Montpellier. Obviously, they're struggling as a team for results. But the fact is, he's getting to play at a higher level. And he's actually done some done some good things. He's come off the bench. I gotta say, Giacchini has really embraced the subs, the impact sub role, and I love his energy, and I love the 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 attitude that he brings off the bench. We saw that in the Gold Cup, and now we're seeing it with Montpellier. He's actually you see him come off the bench. He makes things happen. I think the other it was just this, in this past week he came off the bench and right off the bat, like two minutes later, he sets up the goal, sets up the winner. For his team. So he is there. He's in the picture. And I know Berhalter has always been someone who values someone who can be an impact player off the bench, especially in a wide role. The Giacchini can play wide. He can play striker. So it wouldn't shock me at all if he calls him Giacchini. And also Giacchini's got great, like he's a great personality. He's a locker room guy. He's He's someone who brings the positive vibes to the locker room. So all those things considered, I could see Giacchini called it. I didn't project him on, but I could see him called in. Uh, and another name I mentioned, Emmanuel Sabi, who's playing well. He's at Odense, Odense BK. Uh, and uh, he's doing well. He's scoring goals. He's playing consistently, but he's always kind of been on the outside. I don't think he's ever been called into a camp. So, But he's a name to remember. And I hope he's on the radar, but again, like he's still, I think he's still far away. So that's pretty much it. That's the group. And if I didn't mention a player, I, you know... Apologies, uh, but that's pretty much it. That's the guys I see called in. The question is going to be, how many players does Berhalter call in? I mean, there's a lot of questions, but does he learn his lesson and go with more than 25, 26? I got to think he did. I got to think he did. Does it matter that it's two home games instead of uh, two road games this time around? Does that make a difference? I don't know. But here's hoping he calls in at least 28 players. That would be a nice kind of midpoint, because if he doesn't go 30... He can't possibly go 26 again, 25, 26. So hopefully he goes 28, at least. Now that we've kind of named some of these players, we, I, I did want to touch on a few things uh, in terms of the group, in terms of some of the key players. Now, first things first, John Brooks has not been in a great run of form. And obviously we know what happened in September. He had a rough day, two rough days, rough, rough game against Canada, rough game against Honduras. He came out of that, and it's kind of like, whoa, like, wait, wait a minute. This, this, this is, he's supposed to be the, the rock. He's supposed to be the, one of the first names on the team sheet for the U.S. national team. And it was a little bit of a surprise that, that, he had that, that he struggled that much. And I touched on this, I'm pretty sure, the last episode of the show before this recent break that we took. But since then, the struggles have carried over into the club side. And I can't help but wonder how much of that is the distraction being caused by his club's public comments or the reports out of Germany that Wolfsburg doesn't plan to resign him. And look, players can be, uh, they can be sensitive creatures. They can be, they can be affected. Their game can be affected and thrown off by distractions. 
And if Brooks is having to worry about his club situation, could that be a distraction? Absolutely. So I thought it was a super tacky, and I, I might have mentioned this last episode, but yeah, I thought it was super tacky, the timing of that to come out right before the September qualifiers. And then he comes, he goes back to his club, struggling, red card in the Champions League, and now his, in their, their most recent match, he was benched. So what is going on? Is, is I mean, if John Brooks isn't playing consistently for Wolfsburg, like, I mean, it, it's almost unfathomable because as good as he was for them, as as important as he was to their push to a Champions League place, it's kind of almost hard to understand what's going on. But really, when you look at it, it could be as simple as, look, Wolfsburg has some other young center backs that they're they're probably going to sell. Maxence Lacroix, one of the better young center backs in, the, in, in Europe, 50 million plus center back. So if they want to showcase these younger players that they can sell, they're not selling John Brooks. Well, first of all, he's got he's in the last year of his contract, so he could absolutely end up leaving on a free. But you don't like to see him struggle because there's no one like him in the pool. Yes, there are other center backs. There are good center backs. There are good prospects. There's no one quite like John Brooks. In terms of their ability to pass, dominate in the air, have that leadership quality when he's on his game. Now, there's a big difference between on his game, John Brooks, dominant John Brooks, Copa America Centenario John Brooks. Big difference between that guy and Honduras John Brooks, uh, Costa Rica away John Brooks, basically Central America away John Brooks. That, that that there's a big gap there, big gap. So that 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 make, that makes things interesting in, in October because for me I still for me you still start him. For me it's Brooks, Miles Robinson. That's your two. That's your two until someone like Richards is really ready to push one of those guys out. And I don't know if we're there yet, but it's going to bear watching how Brooks looks in October because he's going to start. Brooks is going to start in October. At least against Jamaica, first match at home in Austin. I have to think John Brooks starts if he's healthy. And Brooks against Jamaica, I think that's a good matchup. And no, I looked. I know they have some speed. Obviously, <laughs> Jamaica has speed. Newsflash. But I think that's a good game for him to kind of get his mojo back and reassert himself as an important part of this team. So we'll see. That's an, that's one that I did want to touch on. I did, want, I did want to dig into that a bit because obviously in the time we've been away, he's continued to struggle, which has been really, really surprising. Now, moving on, we're going to talk some MLS. And uh, obviously a lot's gone on in the past week or so since MLS. And uh, we're going to start. Luchi Gonzalez has been fired by FC Dallas. And when you look at the results, you can kind of, I mean, you understand why. But I have to say, it's such a tough position to be in, to be the coach of a team that is obviously much more focused on developing talent and, and, and having this academy that produces top-level talent and isn't a team that is necessarily spending the big money to have a title-contending team. Luchi Gonzalez, I thought he did a pretty good job the first two years. He got them to the playoffs. He's helped develop players. Look, look at this year. He's helped Ricardo Pepe. He's, he's put him in his position to really just flourish for FC Dallas. But the results did not come this year. And it, it doomed him. It doomed him. It cost him his job. But that's the tricky part. It's, you know, 
I mean, I don't know what the answer is because look, you could you could bring in a coach who maybe will get you more results, but may not help develop the young talent the way that Luchin Gonzalez did. And that's obviously in an ideal scenario, you want someone who can do both. Find someone who can do both, right? And that's not easy. So I, I, I'm very interested interested to see what FC Dallas does in the future, who they hire, because that's a that, that's not an easy job. Because I don't care who you are as a coach that goes into that FC Dallas job. Yes, you will have talent in the pipeline. Yes, you do have some good young talent, but you don't have them long, and you're never going to get the you know the big time DP players signed to that team. And you're sitting here having to try to compete with you know. Sporting Kansas City with an Alan Polito or LAFC with Carlos Vela or Seattle with a Rui Diaz and Ladero. And you have these good, young, talented players who, if any of them actually do flourish, they leave. You sell them. So it's not an easy one. I, so I I sympathize with, with Luchi Gonzalez on that because I think I think he's a good coach um, for that kind of position. I thought he was. And obviously, you know, it was a tough year for them. Um, some of the signings, they went for it this year. They went and actually found, they actually went and signed some foreign players. They went and signed, they didn't just stick to their academy. They didn't just stick to MLS. They went and, and got some players, Spanish center back, uh, the, the wingers that they brought in. But it didn't come together. It didn't come off, and it cost Luchi Gonzalez's job. Another match to, I did want to touch on the League's Cup final. Seattle Sounders lost to Club León. In a, in a dramatic one, 3-2 final in Las Vegas. And uh, I'm pretty sure in past episodes I've touched on the whole League's Cup thing and why I thought it was, I, I, did, I just thought it was an unnecessary competition. But out of respect for Seattle, I will say this. Seattle showed me the potential and the possibilities of this tournament just in the sense that, look, they took it seriously. They took it as an opportunity to kind of help their season and they and they they did their thing. They played well. They didn't win it at the end, right? But they still they represented MLS well in this competition. Am I am I a fan of this thing? No, still no. I still think it's the whole MLS Liga Mekis thing is so forced. It's so contrived. It's so it, it like I get why they're doing it. I get MLS needs money. And MLS needs needs to you know find new revenue streams and find new fan bases and as a you know they, I get all that but it I, doesn't mean I think this thing is a, is worth it. Leaks Cup, it's it's I don't buy, I'm not into it. I'm not I'm not still as much as Seattle as great as Seattle was in this tournament, they still didn't convince me that this thing should exist. Champions League, you have Concacaf Champions League, win that, focus on that, build that up. And now they've expand. Now they're expanding this thing. They're making it bigger. They've convinced themselves this is a great idea. And they, of course, they think every idea they they come up with is a great idea. But until they're proven otherwise, so I'm not I'm not sold on it. I'm not sold. But I'll give kudos to Seattle and I'll give kudos to Brian Schmetzer for taking it seriously, and his team represented MLS well. Even though I don't think they should even have this thing, but we'll see. We'll see what happens going forward and how maybe they win me over next year. Maybe having all the teams in there and really getting a sense for what Liga Mekis versus MLS is about. Maybe they'll win me over next year. But for me right now, no, still not one over. Still not convinced that it's a thing that anybody needs. Now, before we get into the MLS schedule of uh, for the weekend, we do have a guest. 
we have our first guest in a quite a while, and I know it'll, it'll feel a little random, but I, I got to say uh, this player's story is an interesting one, and he's on a roll right now. He's been scoring goals, uh, really kind of breaking through and helping the Columbus crew uh, break out of their recent funk. Um, and for all the players that they have, they've turned to this player to produce some goals, and his name is Miguel Berry. Uh, the striker from the University of San Diego in his second year in the league. And he's been uh, lighting it up. I believe he has four goals in his last uh, four matches. I could be wrong on that. He's really showing well. And he's got an interesting story. And he's joining us on the SBI show. Joining us from Columbus is Miguel Barry. Miguel, welcome to the SBI show. How are you doing today? Doing well, Alex. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Th- thanks for taking the time. I know, I know it's a, it's been a, a bit of a whirlwind, especially uh, recently. Now you've you've found your your scoring boots. You got your scoring boots on. What what what's this past uh, month or so been like with with just being able to kind of find the net and really hit that groove? Um, it's been fun. Obviously, you know, I, I didn't play didn't play last year, and and it's it's tough to be you know on the team, but but out of out of the team, you know, at the same time. So this this past month, um, been around the team and. And really, felt, really felt part of it, and you know, every you take every win and every loss uh, personally now almost, and it's, uh, it's been fun. And you know, that's why you play the game. So, yeah, definitely can't complain. What do you think has been kind of the, the key to, the, to your kind of recent run uh, of form? Is it just opportunities, or, or do you, are you feeling is there a confidence level now that maybe you didn't, wasn't there a year ago? Like, what what what's different now, if anything? I know. I think it's a little bit of both. I think you know, I got uh, you know opportunities are tough, especially when you're in an MLS winning uh, franchise, um, you know, and then last year, obviously, you know, there was no real need to play, you know, a young guy ever, Jossie, you know, Jossie plays, he plays 90 minutes every weekend. He's, he's an, he's an absolute tank. Um, he's unbelievable. So, um, you know, opportunity never really came and I got, got 30 minutes at the end of the Cincinnati game a month and a half ago and I kind of took it. And ever since then, it's been, you know, ch- taking every opportunity you can. And like you said, obviously when, when you score, your confidence goes up and, and your your level goes up as well, so that's that's been good. Now, you're playing with you mentioned Jossie, Jossie, and now you have Jossie there. You have Bradley, uh, right? Phillips there as well. How, how much have you been able to kind of learn from those guys and and kind of take in just kind of being around you know two guys with with the resumes and and the careers that they've had? So much, so much. It, it's incredible, really. Those guys know a ton about position. They're they're great professionals. They're great people as well. Um, you know, and, and they're both different players. And I think that's. I'm still young. I'm still like finding the way, you know, I want to play and the, the best way for me to take, you know, take advantage of, of, of my, you know, athletic gifts and, and, uh, and my body. And, and I think learning, you can learn, learn so much from both of those guys. Um, they, they both been around league, they both score goals, you know, everywhere they go. So, um, they're, they're great people. And I really just try to take as much as I can for both of them every single day. Now, I don't know if people are aware as far as your background goes, but I thought it was interesting. So you were born in Barcelona, Right to to American yeah. parents is that so now you moved here when you were eight so I'm assuming you had a, a foundation of Spanish have, have do you still have the Spanish how how's your oh yeah <laughs> yeah. You still, yeah of course yeah and do you have the um, full accent but like a full uh, yeah Barcelona yeah. accent I got I got the list and everything that that uh, my my American friends seem to love so uh, um, I do have the list and it's it's you know here here it's, it's not very you heard a lot but over there it's really all they know so. Um, it's it's funny. I get made fun of that for a lot, but uh, it's you know I wouldn't change it for anything. I'm sure you surprise some people sometimes who don't expect you to have Spanish that that Spanish in the bag. So how, do you do you got to get a kick out of that whenever you meet maybe a new Latino player that comes along or they you know they have no idea, right? <laughs> well, for, for me, it works both ways. Obviously, you know when when you speak Spanish, the people here speak Spanish, and then you turn around and you start speaking English. They, you know they don't expect that from you, or and and, and vice versa, like you said. Um, so. 
it's, it's for me, I do get a kick out of it. it. I think it's always, it's always funny. Um, you know, languages are been a big part of my life. I always spoke Spanish at home. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I'm really grateful to be able to speak both. And it's the kind of thing where I do get a kick out of it because it is funny. Now you moved when you were younger, but you, I guess you were eight when you moved here. So did, was there, were you, were you already playing soccer? Was there a foundation of soccer already just from there? Yeah, there was, you know, I, I, I was very fortunate. I, I had an incredible coach. Um, and, and he, he played in, you know, he really, implanted you know in, in my brain on, on on how to play and 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 style of play and, and he he you know even my first year you know playing with for him I, I played I played forward and scored a bunch of gold and had a great time and then the next year he made me learn how to play right back which was you know at, at seven years old I was never going to be a right back but he wanted to teach me the game and teach me you know all the positions and how to play everywhere and it's the kind of thing where you know I, I'm eternally grateful because he, he really established uh you know ideas and 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 really a strong foundation of soccer stronger than you know most seven and eight year olds uh will ever have so i, I was very very lucky now, now taking you back to last year obviously you get drafted uh you get drafted by the crew uh, and obviously as a rookie everyone wants to play but obviously you had to go a different path you, you went on a few loans what was that experience like of kind of you know not you, you you don't have that opportunity with the first team but you do get that opportunity to go to go on loan and, and get some games what was that experience like uh, invaluable. Um, it's, it's incredible. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing where, where I, I got to go on loan and, and play for Landon Donovan in San Diego, which is, you know, not to mention we talk about Justin Bradley, you know, throw Landon Donovan in there as well. It's, uh, I've been incredibly fortunate in my young career to have, have uh, such great, you know, mentors and, and great people, but also who just know the game and, and can teach you so much. And, you know, just to play for him and to win games there and, you know, to score goals there is, it's the kind of thing um, that, you know, I think has led to my success this year. Um, and so I'm, I'm really grateful. Now, were you a little starstruck there playing for Landon? I mean, obviously, you know, he's someone you probably watched growing up, and now here he is as a coach. I got to be honest, for me, it's still a little weird imagining him as a coach. <laughs> but here he is a coach. I mean, how, how did it take you a little while to get used to that, or was it pretty? Was he pretty good right off the bat? You know, he's such a normal and nice guy that it, 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 it's right off the bat you get used to it because he's, he's, you know, he's just one of the guys. He's, he's you know, a soccer brain and, and, you know, he's as humble as they come and, and, and it makes it easy. You know, he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't like to go around bragging about, you know, his ability as a player. He makes it about you and he's incredibly, you know, selfless and, and humble. And I think, uh, you know, I thought I was going to be more starstruck than I was, but he just, he's just so humble and kind that um, he made it easy for me to learn from him. Now, does he, did he ever jump into training and play with you guys? Like he still, does he still show it off a little bit? Cause I always see these former players, they, they can't help but get in there and then kind of just remind people that they still have it. No, you know, he, he doesn't, but every once in a while, you know, we'll, you know, in between things, so you'll see him on the ball or someone will cross it in and, and, and he'll, and he'll finish or head and you just see he had that different level of, of technique and ability and, um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm almost grateful he didn't jump in because I think he would have ruined it for everyone. Um, you know, you hear stories around the league about, you know, Terry Henry jumping in training and, and everyone kind of rolls their eyes sometimes, but you know, it's, it's nice that, you know, he, he really made it about us always, you know, it was never about him. And, and I'm, you know, I have so much respect for, for him for that. You know, it'd be easy to for Landon Donovan to make it about himself, but he never did. He always, you know, put us first and, and he, you know, he's an incredible person for that. Now, now, what was that like for you to, obviously, you're starting your pro career, you're on loan with, with Loa, but you're also home, right? I mean, you were, you're were you back in, in San Diego. I mean, is that did that help, or was it? did it still feel like you had started a new career, or did it feel like you were still kind of home? I, I think I think most people would think that, you know, oh, I'm, I'm home, it, it's different. It's like, oh, you know, back home where he's comfortable. I think for me, it, I was, 
I was in, I was in professional athlete mode. It was never, uh, you know, San Diego relaxed mode. I was always, you know, taking care of myself and doing what I needed to do to be ready. And I think I was actually playing in the same stadium. I played my college games in, which is funny, but, um, it, it felt, it always felt different. It, it never felt like I was just back home, you know, relaxing or back home in a break from, from Columbus or this and that. I was, it was always, I, I was always in a new city playing playing for a new club, and that's 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 how it felt. And didn't really feel like I was back home. Now you're back with the crew, and uh, speaking of coaches, you're, you're playing for Caleb Porter, and and, and I kind of feel like in terms of coaching styles, there's a little different coaching style between Landon and Caleb. Is there a difference? Like what what's what's it like playing for Caleb? I mean, I know he he can he can obviously be he can be hard on players at times, but he, you know he's also known as a player's coach. What's he like to play for? Yeah, you know, I think I think you said it. They're they're, they're very different. Um, I, you know, I think I think Landon sees it through a player's eyes, and Caleb's been a coach for for twenty plus years. You know, and, and, and Landon was still still a player, really, in his mind. Um, he's you know he still is, he'll always be. Um, so I think um, you know, it, it, it's different. Um, Caleb's obviously, you know, he, he expects a lot, and and you know, he he has faith. You know, he's a guy you have to earn his trust, and I think uh, I think I've done that so far this year, which is which has been good. But you know. He has his faith in, in, in guy. You know, he wants to play guys he, he can rely on. He knows he can rely on. So, you know, you have to work for that uh, every single day in training. And I think, you know, I've done that. But um, uh, they're definitely, definitely different in some ways. But, but again, you know, all, all elite coaches, you know, have the, are, are, they're all winners. So, um, which is what you want from a coach. So they're definitely, they're similar too as well. What do you just, I want to take you back to that, that, that Darby, the, uh, against Cincinnati. So you come off the, you come off the bench. And uh, at that point, you still had hadn't scored an MLS goal. What what do you remember about that night? Had to be a surreal experience, especially with the derby and everything tied into that. What was that experience like? Have you ever had anything like that before? Uh, definitely. I mean, we were we were man down, and was, I mean, I came on early in the season against uh, Toronto in, in in injury times, but it was my first real MLS minutes as well. So, um, you know, it was the kind of thing where where. You know, it's just—it's kind of what you dream of. You know, I mean, you don't really dream of coming on a man down and and, and running running for thirty five minutes, but uh, it, it just kind of—I knew a chance would come my way, and it was all about taking it. Um, and for me, it was about earning my minutes in the next game and proving that I could do it. And um, you know, it's a real experience to obviously score, especially away in front of twenty five thousand and such a big rivalry. And uh, it was it was cool. Um, it was it, you know. A very very cool experience. It was the kind of thing where after I scored, even it was just about you know sealing the point and uh, and really working hard behind the ball. We had little little Acosta on the other side dribbling at me, and I just remember you know my tall gangly self just trying to defend him and and poke trying to poke the ball away. But uh, it was it was all about really you know the results and you know everything that came after was was obviously you know it's a bonus. But uh, you know in this business you have to prove that you know you, people can win games with you and get results with you. So um, that's what I was most pleased with. And then again, you do it again in the Derby uh, more recently here in uh, late August. You scored two. Uh, it's just Cincinnati. You seem to have their number. What What is it about? You know, th- was that three goals in two games? Not yet? <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I don't know what it is, but, you know, there's something in the, in the water in Ohio. Uh, I never thought I'd be, uh, be uh, you know, the center of, of the of the Hell is Real Derby, but um, it kind of worked out that way. But, you know, something about, about playing them that, that I like. Um, so hopefully, I don't think we play them again this season, but. Uh, hopefully uh, we can see him again a couple more times next season. <laughs> nice, nice. Now, is there is there a feeling? Obviously, it was that really rough stretch for the crew in terms of just results with all the losses. I think that the win against Cincy was the only win in the stretch of about nine matches. But here you guys are now. You you got a win against the Red Bulls. You tied uh, New England, which obviously is a huge result. New England with the best record in the league. Is there a feeling that 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 the mojo is coming back? That you know this is the defending champion Columbus team we all expected when the year began. Definitely. You know, it's, it's been really tough, obviously, you know, 
we're we're winners. Everyone in this club, you know, we're winners. We don't get this far. Um, you know, getting, I don't think any of us have ever lost that nine out of ten in anything. So um, it was it was extremely difficult. But I don't think we ever felt like we we were a bad team. And I think we still don't. I think we got a lot of results that didn't really reflect who we are as a team. Um, but you know, now it's it's life and death in these last eight games. So I think every single game we're just going to have to go out and prove who we are. Um, and I think we're very confident we can do that, which is which is exciting. Now you've seemed to find some success. Uh, come, not everyone can come off the bench and and make things happen, and you've you've been able to do that now a few times. Obviously, against the against the Red Bulls, you come on and you score the goal. What, what what's what have you kind of learned in the last year or two that that's helped? Is that because I mean you, you probably were used to being a starter all through college, and it's a different mindset to be able to just be locked in and come off the bench and and be ready to make the most of maybe one chance that comes. What what, what have what have you learned that has helped you kind of be able to do this? Yeah, like you said, obviously you know no one no one likes being on the bench, but but you know when you're on the bench, you have to be focused the whole time of and 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 really watching and taking advantage of of, of you know, spaces that are seeing what you see out there and, and putting yourself in those positions. And, you know, the MLS is a weird league where, especially against, against the crew, because people know what we can do. It's very, we're very compact games for the first 60, 70 minutes. Uh, but it kind of opens up in the last 20. So, uh, you know, there are opportunities there if you can find them. And I think, you know, if you talk about the Cincinnati two goals I got, they both were on rebounds. And, you know, I, I, I watched the whole game. I saw Vermeer spill a couple and, and, and handle a couple poorly. And I thought, you know, there was, there were chances there. So I was, as soon as Pedro Santos got it, I was ready to you know take advantage of that because I know he was shooting. Um, so it's really just kind of putting yourself out there and 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 staying ready all the time um, because you never know who can go down injured. It might be the fifth minute, it might be the eighty fifth minute, but you have to be ready. Now, last one for me. You you you've had a chance to play obviously in the new stadium that the the, the the crew have have opened their new was it Lower dot com stadium is that the name of it. Yeah, what what's it like there? Because I, I I've been to a hundred matches at the old Crew Stadium, but I have yet to co- go to the to the new stadium in Columbus. I'll be there for U.S. Uh, Costa Rica uh, in October. But tell me about it. What, what's what's it like there? What's that? Even though you guys had that rough run of results, it still feels like that atmosphere is, is something special. What's it like there? Yeah, you know, comparing to Montfrey, Montfrey is a special stadium. You know, as as, I, as I'm sure you've been there before. Um, you know, it's. it's it's an it's an incredible feeling. It's a great pitch, but but the lower dot com field feels like you know a European football environment where the fans are on top of you. It's loud. They're singing. Um, there's drums. It, you know the fans have been unreal. Um, so it it really feels like like proper you know football. Like this is this is what Major League Soccer should be. It, it, it's it's incredible. You know. I think we're very fortunate that you go around the league. I think, you know, some teams maybe, you know, are struggling with fans and this or that, but I think our fans, you know, even losing nine out of 10 have been incredibly, you know, faithful toward us and, and, and we love them for that. And they've been great. Now, now, have you been back to Spain much or at all since, uh, since when you yes. were younger? Yeah. How, yeah. I have. How often do you go back? Uh, I haven't been back in whew, since before I went to college. I've, I've been, you know, playing soccer ever since, but I think I'm going back, uh, this this December as well, so that's exciting. So, are you a Barcelona fan? I am a massive Barcelona fan. I, I watch every game. <laughs> nice. It's got to be a tough time. I mean, I, not to bring it up, but I mean, it's a little different experience for you now than than before. You got a little spoiled with all the titles that they used to win, but now it's a bit of rebuilding. Here. As a fan, you, as as you watch that, I mean, what, what's that like for you? You know, it's 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 different now that I'm you know a professional. I understand you know more football. I understand there's things that we definitely don't know about that go on there, and obviously the financial side of the club is is in disarray. But you know, it's it's 
strangely also an exciting time. I mean, I don't love them, you know, tying it another one, one on the weekend like they did, but it's the kind of thing where you, you get to see things and, and young players come through and keep, be given opportunities that really haven't been given opportunities the last, you know, five, six, seven years. Um, so it, it, in a weird way, it's exciting as well. So, um, you know, you have to take the good with the bad and you can't, you can't be on top forever. And I just, you know, I'm confident they'll, they'll, they'll return and, and it's going to be a process, but, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely bright spots. Well, I heard the, I heard a little accent there. I heard Granada. I heard you, I heard you, say, you dropped it there. I was curious. I was curious about it. Uh, yeah. so it does pop out occasionally. I like that. That's good. Nice <laughs> well, I, I definitely appreciate the time and, uh, it's been great to see the success. I remember when you, you were coming into the draft, uh, it felt like, you know, is, are, you know, where's he going to go? Is he going to go near the top of the draft? And, and obviously Columbus grabbed you where they grabbed you. I knew there were some other teams looking at you and, and now here you are taking full advantage and good luck the rest of this year. And, and hopefully, you, you know, if you guys get in the playoffs, maybe you can defend that title with you, you know, bringing in the goals. And uh, once again, thank you so much for the time and good luck the rest of the way. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And that's Miguel Berry, the uh, impressive young striker for the Columbus crew. And uh, he's obviously, uh, you have a feeling he's going to have a, a big part to play there in Columbus down the stretch, even though, look, Jossie's artist is back and they're going to get some of their players back from injury. But he's, I, I mean, if you're Caleb Porter and you've seen what he can do, especially giving what he can give you off the bench. And the stat is actually four goals in his past six matches. And still, still pretty good. And if you're a crew fan, you got to love that he scores against Cincinnati. And I know, look. A lot of people score against Cincinnati. I get it. But still, he rises to the occasion in derbies. You got to love that, too. And obviously now you know his story a little bit. Interesting player. And uh, here's hoping that he has continued success with the crew. And now on to the MLS weekend schedule and uh, full slate. 13 matches this weekend and some very enticing ones. And I'm going to rattle them off for you and give you some picks and predictions so if you want to if you're inclined to gamble legally and uh you know you live in one you're lucky enough to live in one of the states where you can bet on matches here's a little rundown for you as i have done in past episodes and if you lose money don't blame me if you win money uh i'll give you my paypal just kidding uh we'll start off with philadelphia and atlanta one of the better matches of the weekend you have two teams that are separated by just one point in the eastern conference standings they are in the currently in the final two spots in the eastern conference playoff picture so Big one there. You lose this one, DC United could catch you, could pass you. So you, if you're Philly, you need to win this when you're at home. So you got to get it done. Philly is favored. They're plus. They're minus one ten. Atlanta at plus two fifty. Pretty good number. Pretty good number. Although Atlanta has not had the best home, uh, best road record, and Philly's got a pretty good home record. So I'm going to go Philly in that one. Take Philly minus one ten. Although Atlanta has been playing very well, very well. So that's a good, uh, you know, I tell you what, the tie at, at plus 250, if you're inclined to bet ties, that's a pretty good one right there. Actually, I would I probably recommend the tie on that one. Then you have New England Revolution, who, by the way, clinched a playoff berth uh, during the week. And by the way, belated happy birthday to Bruce Arena, who just turned 70. And uh, full disclosure, Bruce Arena and I have the same birthday. So, yes, I just had my birthday recently. Uh, I'll use that as another excuse for why I took some time off from the show. But we're back. I'm older now. Look, I'm an old, I'm an old man. I'm an old man. I have an AOL account, so you know I'm old. But happy birthday to Bruce Arena. And I got to say, uh, I was I was looking at some old tweets of mine uh, back when I first recommended Bruce Arena as the guy to solve the problems in New England, right? And look, I'm not taking credit for it. Uh, and it, it was pretty common sense that he would be a good guy for that. But the slander aimed at Bruce Arena when he was hired or even when he was recommended was amazing. And obviously part of that was still people who were clearly upset 
about the whole World Cup qualifying fiasco. People were convinced Bruce Arena was 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 past it. He didn't have it anymore. He's he's a he's a dinosaur. He can't coach in the modern MLS. And what happened? New England Revolution are on pace to break the MLS record for points in a season. They are having the best season in the history of MLS right now. So hats off to Bruce Arena. He's proven the people wrong who doubted him. And you know what? He just might win another MLS Cup this year. But first things first, New England against Orlando City, New England at home. Big favorites, minus 220. And I hard to argue. I'm never betting against New England at home. Their record at home this year, 10-1-2. So they've only lost once this year. They've won 10 of 13. And Orlando on the road, 3-5-4, not the best. Take New England. Or maybe just don't bet it if you don't like that price. Minus 220 is not a great price. Orlando plus 460. It's a nice long shot, but no. I'm pretty sure Nani's suspended. I think Nani might might be out with a red card. If you don't have Nani and you're playing at New England, I'm sorry. New England's taking that one. Up next, DC United at home against FC Cincinnati. DC United minus 210. And look, they need this one. They're right behind Philly and Atlanta. Perfect opportunity because no matter what happens in the Atlanta and Philly game, D.C. can jump into playoff position because if D.C. wins, they will pass one of those two teams, if not both. Because if, if it's a tie, they would have if Atlanta and Philly tie, D.C. would leapfrog them both with a win. So D.C. at home, they've actually been very good at home this year, eight and three at home this year. And uh, we know we all know about Cincinnati and their struggles, uh, particularly on the road with Cincinnati. There are three. Actually, since he's better on the road than at home this year, which is kind of funny, I'm going to go D.C. Minus 210, decent price, take DC United. Then we have the Columbus Crew and CF Montreal, although uh, some people still call them the Montreal Impact. I have to catch myself sometimes calling them the Montreal Impact. Columbus, just to show, this, if anything shows you how much Columbus has been struggling, it's the fact that Columbus is not a bigger favorite at home. And they're only a plus 105 at home. And that's p- partly because of their struggles, but also partly because Montreal has actually been playing well. And I'll be the first to say my record, I've taken a beating this year picking Columbus to win games. I've, I've, I've taken a battering in their slump that they've been enduring. And I keep riding it and, and, and you know, expecting the turnaround to come, expecting the turnaround to come. And guess what? I'm a sucker for punishment. I think this is the one. Or I think I think this. Ha- and it's not just because Miguel Berry was a guest on this episode. I think Columbus gets it done. They win at home plus 105. Apologies to Montreal. I like the. I'm going with. I'm going with the crew. Give me the crew plus 105 at home. I, I love that price. Then you have the New York Derby at Yankee Stadium. I was at the New York Derby on Wednesday at Red Bull Arena. Controversial ending. VAR review. 102nd minute penalty kick by Patrick Klamala equalizes for the Red Bulls. I don't know why the VAR review determined that that was a penalty because it looked like the ball hit off the player's body, then bounced on his hand. Uh, that one seemed an odd one for me, but for me, NYCFC, they're at home. We know how tough they are at home. They're minus 180. Red Bulls have not been great on the road this year. They have two wins from 12 on the road, and NYCFC, they're 8-2-2 two two at home. So you balance those two things out, NYCFC should absolutely roll over the Red Bulls. And NYCFC, minus 180, that's... I'm jumping all over that. I'm jumping all over that because I think they're going to be out for blood after get after what they feel like was them being cheated on Wednesday. And 
I understand it. I understand it because I, Ishmael Elfat, the referee, had some questionable decisions in that game. And actually, I submitted some questions. I was assigned to submit the questions to the referee at the end of the match. Unfortunately, the whole setup and situation and arrangement was a, a bit of a mess. This is this is obviously we're not in normal times in COVID time, so I think the questions were submitted too late. So I don't there was I don't even think they were ever answered. So we never got any answers as to why he reached a decision that he did on that game-changing VAR review at the end, but we'll never know now. So we'll see if NYCFC can exact a little revenge at Yankee Stadium. I'm taking that one, minus 180, NYCFC. I'm taking that all day. Next up, we have the Rapids against TFC. Rapids at home, I tell you what, they're tough. They're tough at home. Playing at altitudes never easy, and we know, uh, know the TFC has had their struggles this year. Actually, the Rapids have only lost once at home this year, although they have dropped points in half of their home matches which is a little surprising to me. They've had five draws at home, but I think I, I'm going to take them over TFC as much as TFC. They continue to boggle my mind that the team with that much talent has had this rough a year. Uh, and a little side note, uh, I want to congratulate Justin Morrow on the uh, the news of his retirement. Great player, great person. And uh, I think he's going to do even bigger and better things in retirement. I think he's a, you know, he's a, he's a classy individual, intelligent person who's going to bring a lot to the game in whatever his next role is uh, after his playing career is over. But his team's going to lose in, uh, in Colorado, I think. Uh, and Colorado minus 210. TFC plus four sixty. I'm sorry, I, I can't. I can't bet. A, I can't bet on a team on the road at altitude. Give me the Rapids minus two ten. Then you have San Jose Earthquakes against LAFC. Uh, LAFC is at is actually the favorite. LAFC is a pl- plus one twenty. San Jose plus one seventy five, and that's a tricky one. San Jose's very Jekyll and Hyde team because they've they've had a disappointing year, rough year. They they have seven wins and nine losses and nine draws. They have these games where they look unbelievable, but then they have these games when they're absolute trash. And their defense has been an issue, obviously. Their their defense is, especially lately, just pouring, just raining goals. And I think LAFC takes advantage of that. And this one, even though it's in San Jose, give me LAFC plus 120. I'm taking that. And uh, we got a couple more here. We got Vancouver FC Dallas, Vancouver at home, plus 110. FC Dallas, obviously, with the coaching change. They're still holding out hope for a playoff spot. It's not looking great. Dallas is seven points back, uh, out of the playoff line, and they've played two more matches. So are they catching Minnesota, RSL, LAFC? No. This year's a wrap. Apologies, Dallas. You have Ricardo Pepe. You've got Justin Che. You've got Jesus Ferreira. You have some really good, talented young players, and hopefully you can finish out the year with some good results. But playoffs, not happening. Vancouver is actually in a much better position they're only four points out of the playoff spot, and they played the same number of matches. But I don't know. I don't. The, Van, the Whitecaps just don't. I'm not convinced. And obviously, they they got rid of manager Mark DeSantos, and I, I still I still question. I still think that was a questionable decision at the time that they made it. And um, I don't know. I don't see them doing it. But if the Whitecaps are gonna are realistically gonna get into this playoff picture, they have to win. They have to beat Dallas. So Vancouver plus one ten. I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll take the Whitecaps. I don't know if I've ever picked the Whitecaps in a match, but I'll take the Whitecaps against FC Dallas. And now you have the Portland Timbers against RSL. And much like uh, in the East, you have Atlanta, Philly, one point apart playing each other. Timbers and RSL are separated by one point in the Western Conference standings. Portland at the five spot, RSL at the six spot. Portland's at home, and they're only at plus 100. Plus 100 at home. The Timbers. I'm sorry. I'm jumping all over that. That might be my pick of the week. 
no offense to RSL, they've been looking good. Uh, they, I think they've responded well to Pablo Mastroeni as their interim coach. But I'm sorry, I'm taking the Timbers. I'm taking the Timbers all day, plus 100 at home. Chicago Fire, Nashville SC. Nashville, uh, they've had some big ones. They've had some. They've been putting up some goals. Uh, and obviously, it's been a great year for them. Gary Smith building on the impressive season last year. And they're currently second in the East. And if New England wasn't running away with the Supporters Shield race and the East, I think more people would be talking about Nashville. Nashville is currently second in the East, five points clear of NYCFC. And uh, as much as they're on the road, the fire, I got to say. So the fire, an interesting one, right? The fire are not, they're, they're 12 points out of the playoff picture. They're not making the playoffs, but they're a team that, they're, they've played better than the record, and I feel like I've said this before, but the reason I'm saying it now is because they played a midweek match against New England uh, in Chicago, and they very easily could have beaten New England. And they, they played well enough to beat New England, but they lost. And there's been so many examples of that for them this year. And I know some people look at it and say, well, something's wrong then if they can play that well, but they can't do it consistently. I don't know what the answer is, but all I know is that I've, when I've watched Chicago, I've actually been impressed with the way they play. It's just consistency has been the big issue for the fire. Uh, and I, I have a feeling, you know what? We, we could see it again with Nashville. I have a feeling they're going to play a good game against Nashville, but not get the result. So Nashville on the road, plus 135. Give me Nashville SC over the fire. And the last two matches, Sporting KC and Seattle. This is the game of the week, obviously. Sporting KC and the Sounders. You're talking about the two teams really pushing for first place in the in the Western Conference right now. KC has a one-point lead on the Sounders, and they're at home, minus 130. Now you have Seattle, obviously, played the League's Cup uh, at midweek. You wonder how that affects them. Obviously, a tough match against Club Leon. Are they, is, that, is fatigue going to be a factor? Look, this is going to be a great one. You don't want to miss this one. This one's on Sunday, Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern, game of the week. Uh, I'm going to go KC as much as, look, I love Seattle. Uh, you know, they're fun to watch. They're a top team. But KC at home, KC's been very tough at home. They've only had they've only lost once at home this year. Surprisingly, five draws is a little more than I would expect from them. But it's been a weird year, obviously, with everything going on. But they're tough at home. But Seattle, guess what? Seattle, the best road team in the league. So this one's a toss-up. Tell you what, the draws at plus 270. That's an enticing one. But guess what? I'm going KC, Daniel Shaloy winner, take KC minus 130. Last but not least, Austin FC at home against LA Galaxy. Austin, look, it's been a rough year. It's been a rough year for Austin FC, Josh Wolf. It can happen. Expansion teams, it can happen. They can struggle. They can just, it can just not come together. They've had some moments. They've had some moments, but as an overall year, it's been a bit of a obviously disappointing year for them. I'm still looking forward to going to Austin. That's my plan to go to Austin for the USA Jamaica. I still have to book my flight. I think I'm going to do this as soon as I finish posting this episode. But Austin at home, LAFC, uh, LA Galaxy, the Galaxy need this one. They want to make sure they secure a top four spot in the West. And it's just it's it's so easy to right now. They are five points clear of the playoff places. So they're in a comfortable position but things can go back pretty quickly. I don't think LAFC is worried about their playoff spot. I think they're more worried about making sure they stay in the top four. And Portland right on their tail, they need to get all three points in Austin. And I think they do it. I think Greg Vanny's side do it. LA Galaxy plus 170. I know the Galaxy haven't been great on the road this year. But Austin, Austin hasn't been great anywhere. Austin only has three wins at home this year. Give me the Galaxy. That's one of the better bets of the week, I'd say. LA Galaxy plus 170 in Austin.
I'm jumping all over that. I think, you know, I, that's one of the better bets for me. Give me the Galaxy in Austin. And that wraps things up for this episode of the SBI show. Uh, just uh, apo- once again, apologies for the little hiatus that we went on. Obviously, it was a, a week, a week and a half. Uh, but we're back and we will get things rolling. I will say it was good to to have a guest on and, and, and definitely want to thank Miguel Barry for joining me. It was good to just get back into that that rhythm. I, lo- I love interviews. Interviews are doing interviews are one of my favorite things of my job. I haven't been doing as many of them as I should be doing and as I want to be doing. So that that one was good to just kind of get the juices flowing again. And we will start having more interviews going forward in the coming episodes. And uh, so definitely keep an eye out for that. And as I mentioned earlier, my plan is to go to Austin for the qualifier against Jamaica and Columbus for the qualifier against Costa Rica. That's the plan right now. I am still working with CBS on their qualifying coverage. So I'll be in New York for the Panama game. I will not be in Panama for the Panama qualifier as much as I'd love to go because I've never been to Panama. And just to catch you all up, if you're still listening, definitely thank you for listening. And I'll give you a little bit of an update. So I've take as I said earlier, I've taken this position with CBS Sports, working on their TV coverage. So that's kind of changed some plans a bit as far as things that I was looking to do uh, with SBI and obviously with the, having turned the site into more of a showcase of my writing. Now, the good news is I am bringing back my staff. I am bringing back the most of the staff that uh, left in June. I will be bringing back. And we will reestablish SBI as in its previous form. And there are some changes coming to the structure of the site. Uh, and that's to keep an eye out for that. But the, long story short, the plan is to try to keep or try to get SBI back to its best levels. And that's, you know, with the group that we had and also with my my writing as well. Obviously, I have, I have a lot going on now with this new CBS opportunities, but. I do still plan to write because writing is my thing. It's always, it's never going to stop being my thing, but you know, you have to balance things in life. And that that's, that's been the tricky challenge now is to try to balance all the things that I, that, that are, I have going on right now. If you're listening, if you're still listening at this point in the show, I, I, I think you're a, a regular follower of SBI and hopefully you will join, continue to join us and join me on this journey. As I just try to bring you the best possible coverage of American soccer and keep you informed and entertained. So definitely thank you for listening and thank you for reading and, and keep joining us for the ride, joining me for the ride. And again, thank you for Miguel, for Miguel Berry for joining us uh, this episode. And we will see who we will have next week uh, in the future episodes, but that's all for now. I'm Ivis Scalarsa. This is the SBI show. Mm-hmm.